was wondering if you had any comments on Earl, the dog Danny Rojas killed today. Hmm. Trent Krim bringing that heat. <laughs> well, when I was three years old, I got attacked by our neighbor's dog. I don't remember it happening, but my mother said it was pretty, pretty scary, you know. I do remember being afraid of dogs while growing up, though. Like if I was at a friend's house for a sleepover or something, they'd have to keep their family dog outside, otherwise I'd bawl my eyes out. <laughs> then in high school, our neighbor, Mr. Grady, well, his, his wife passed away. And he was real sad about that, as you can imagine. And he just kind of stopped taking care of their dog. Same one that bit me. His name was Hank. And so I started looking after him, you know, feeding him, taking him on walks, playing fetch, all that fun stuff. Eventually, Mr. Grady's son moved his dad into a nursing home, and he asked if I wanted to keep Hank. And I was like, yeah, heck yeah. And then a year or so after that, we had to put Hank to sleep. It's funny to think about the things in your life that can make you cry just knowing that they existed can then become the same thing that make you cry knowing that they're now gone. I think those things come into our lives to help us get from one place to a better one. And I hope we helped Earl do just that. We're gonna miss him around here a whole bunch. podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello and welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, he was here a minute ago, but he stormed off in a huff. And, you know, my philosophy when it comes to cats, babies, apologies, and lackeys is you got to let them come to you. So in the meantime, allow me to welcome you listeners back into What Saves Us, our second half of the year series featuring films and media that nurture your wonder, that invigorate your awe, that enrich your humanity, not to overstate things, but that are saving you now. Last week, we rejected our duty to the fatherland with Andrew Nelson and A Hidden Life. And this week, oh, oh, oh. We are once more assembling the diamond dogs. Foggers, please welcome back to the show that Renaissance painting of masculine melancholy. He who helped turn this panda into a lion. It's my one and only. Whoa, Josh Rouse. Whoa. What's up? Whoa. That's that's quite the introduction, man. Hey, can I can I 
Can I just carry you around and let you uh, can, announce me anywhere? Please. I keep now, saying. Now entering the my, bathroom. Pew, <laughs> 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 pew, pew, pew. All right. Well, real, real quick. You did a good work in there, Bo. Uh, if you will take this penalty kick for me really quick, I'm going to remind listeners that here at the fear of God, we explore. We don't explain. Except for right now when I explain that you can find every fog and fear of God thing imaginable at the fear of God podcast.com. Things such as essays, team bios, episode archives, merch, read, or shall I say, Rick? <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Your mic is off. We're missing this glorious Never going to give, never going to give, never going to give you up. All right. Oh, man. Charles uh, Edgar, what, Jesus is the third. It's so good to see <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man how you That's doing josh comeback. i'm good i'm good reed and uh yeah that, that was that wasn't quite the uh the intro there that was good stuff <laughs> that's <laughs> what we do yeah. yeah i mean everybody if you can't, if you can't have fun here you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly like i'm the I'm, I'm i'm very much like a you know like an in-person live rickroll you know everybody's expecting something else and then suddenly I'm and then it's and, you right yeah. <laughs> and you're like oh okay <laughs> This no, again. <laughs> I was excited until that part. <laughs> <laughs> till that happened. <laughs> oh, what? This amazing thing of the link you sent me to? And oh, Ooh. just read. <laughs> um read. Last week we uh wept together through a headline. Oh life. man. Such a great film. Yeah. No, it it's a, it was wonderful. Yeah, definitely check out that it. conversation if you have not listened to it, listener. See the film, hear the conversation. Um Nathan, uh, I don't have any particular business uh, per se. Um, do you want to? Oh, you know what we hmm. haven't done? In, what? Haven't done in a while. You want to? What have wanna, we not done? You want to? You want to catch up with some some watches? Watcha. What you watching? What you reading? Reading. What you listening to? Boom. So yeah, look, Josh, you're you're a guest. So we always like to defer to guests. So so Josh, I will ask you, what have you been watching and or reading and or listening to, if you will? Well, thank you, Reed. And I will use this moment for uh some long-awaited gloating on my part. Uh yeah. Hey. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh <laughs> last time you guys had me on. I talked about, especially around the Ted Lasso theme, we talked about losing and how growing up uh, uh, with a birthright in a certain fandom of Georgia sports, um, I, I've grown accustomed to heartbreak on the baseball field, football field, you know, pretty much any athletic uh, arena. <laughs> and uh, since we last talked, uh, my first love, the Atlanta Braves, won the World Series. Indeed. Uh, so that was that was awesome. Mm -hmm. And I'm wearing my Georgia hat tonight, my <laughs> University of Georgia hat, because the Bulldogs play Saturday for an SEC championship, and they're three wins away from winning the whole shebang. So um, wow, yeah, you're in I, good company here. We, we're we're, we're a little rapidly waiting up. for that game. Yeah, <laughs> we, I know. I'm sure. I'm sure you had it circled. You're not doing anything else Saturday. Uh, but no, we're, we're excited about that. But I, I'll throw in a, a and also a, a, a what am I listening to? 
Um, a few years ago, I discovered the band uh, Manchester Orchestra, which oh. uh, they've been around a while. It, it, I was late to the party. Um, but man, I'm glad I, I made it to the party because uh, their last couple albums have been phenomenal. And I've just kind of been listening through. I had a friend that went to see them in concert. And so in, uh, in jealous listening mode, I've gone and been listening to their albums and it's good stuff. Is there, man. Is there a specific one you'd recommend? Uh, there, so the, the last two, one's been called, one's called a black mile to the surface, I believe. And then this last one's called the million masks of God. Um, mm. so yeah, that's intense stuff. Um, I think that, I think the lead singer, um, comes from a pastor's home and kind of, writes and sings about that so um I, I thoroughly enjoy their music and uh you know i encourage anybody out there to, to check them out awesome um, if i can make a really funny uh uh piggyback on your bulldogs note uh you made the comment that that i'm sure you've got it circled so a couple of years ago for our anniversary your sister-in-law my wife and i went to new orleans and it was the sugar bowl? our our yeah, yeah, it was. Did you say Super Bowl, right? That's what you said. Oh, I said sugar, but sugar, oh no, no, no. Uh, uh-uh. so um, our anniversary is in January. This must have been leading up to the Super Bowl, and the Saints were doing really well, or something. Yeah, and Reed, that's the New Orleans football team. Oh, uh, okay. Yes, I was sorry. not following. No, I'm just Thank educating you. you. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> that might be the first in history, right there. That's <laughs> well, well, not you won't applaud me after the story. <laughs> So we're, we're going to New Orleans for our anniversary at the airport, the person at the check-in counter or whatever, you know, uh, when you, uh, do your boarding pass, like, oh, you go into the game. And I just stared at her blankly. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, I really, I, it, I even had to ask, I was like, what are you, what are you referring to? <laughs> and there was a really big sports game. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't see my brother right now he hung his head in shame at his, <laughs> at his brother's ignorance um so yeah okay cool reed do you want to go you want me to go what do you want to do you can you can go you i'll can do go. i'll go because go. i didn't go. i didn't know josh was going to recommend music because that's what i'm about to do as well all right so I haven't recommended music in a while, but uh, at least not on the show. I have been uh, pimping this guy to read for a while um, for my birthday, actually, which is back in October. Uh, as a gift, my wife took us to a Patty Griffin concert, which is really fun and nice. What I didn't know uh, was that it was a tour where Patty was sharing the tour. So it was kind of a co-headline thing with a gentleman named Gregory Allen Isakoff. Isakoff? Mm-hmm. I'm not totally sure. I can't remember. Hmm. And, you know, you're coming to the Patty show and I don't know how long either of you it's been since you've been to a concert, but the whole opening act sort of thing, you're always like, okay, let's get to the next thing. Well, Patty was actually the opening of this particular show. I think they would alternate on this tour. Wow. And so, yeah. So, I mean, literally at the end of her set, my wife and I were like kind of scratching our heads thinking, what are we walking? Okay. Maybe we're not totally sure what we walked into here uh, because you would think she's kind of the, the headliner and sure enough, then Gregory does this whole set and we were blown away. Uh, he is amazing live. If you ever get around to it, um, I was doing some quick Googling while we're listening to his first uh, song that he's playing, uh, learning a little bit. And since then, which that was 
early or mid October. I can't remember uh, exactly when the show was. I have been listening to him pretty much in constant rotation. And I will recommend here two specific albums. His most recent one is called Evening Machines, uh, which is really awesome. And the one right before it is just called, it's his name, but with the Colorado Symphony. So it's, I, I actually mm. think it's a, it's a sort of greatest hits album, but it's re-recorded with the Colorado Symphony Orchestra, and it's amazing. So Gregory Allen Isakoff, Evening Machines, and the With the Colorado Symphony Orchestra album are fantastic, and I highly recommend them as my watches. Riri. Very awesome. Very awesome, Moy. <laughs> Boy. You, <laughs> um, I'm you're sorry? Both, you're both recommending uh, music, and I'm about to, Oh, man. I can't believe I'm about to. I'm just going to go for it. So here's the deal. I um, at, at, at two distinct times in my life, now three, I have uh, been a very big fan, fan to the degree to where I would watch it on a regular basis. Um, and it's only happened like three times in my life. The first was when I was a very young kid, kind of growing up, uh, maybe the mid-ish to late 80s, like 87 to 89 era. Um, and then also uh, kind of uh, wrapping around in college, I got back into it um, and then stayed out of it for a very, very long time. But now I have been sucked back into it. And that is the um, the the wonderful thing known as sports entertainment uh professional wrestling uh is oh, something that no. <laughs> oh wow <laughs> so <laughs> can you smell so, what the lackey's cooking no no so here's it so here's the thing so uh the first two eras uh you know classic, oh, my cla classic era was like wwe when you had like sure. you know yeah. hulk hogan you had like you know junkyard dog and 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 all the all these you know great uh you know um the macho man randy savage like that that was the era that i really ravishing rick rude Ravishing Rick Rude was in there. Yeah. Um, Jake the Snake Roberts, all these guys. So that was the first era. And the then, I, oh, the Bushwhackers. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Nathan's doing it. Um, and Coco so beware. then, and so then I got into, oh, Coco Beware. Oh, oh, oh Hacksaw Jim Duggan. My man busting out Hacksaw Jim Duggan. So, um, so then, and Andre the Giant, poor Cole, oh, Andre the Giant. Reed, I need you to finish your story, but I need you also, while my brother is present, to tell the story of us playing wrestling. No, on I don't want to do that. It's got to come up. You are talking <laughs> about wrestling. It's going to come up. It's, it's got to come, come up. Go ahead. It's got to come up. So anyway, so um, anyway, that was the first era. And then I kind of got out of wrestling for a little while. Like wasn't as much a fan, but the Attitude Era brought me back. The Attitude Era is what a lot of sort of modern people associate, uh, people now associate wrestling with. That's The Rock. That's Stone Cold Steve Austin. That's like, you know, that, that, uh, the uh, degeneration X with Shawn Michaels and Triple H. That's the that's the Attitude Era. So I watched it in the Attitude Era, and then I kind of got out of it. It was not, you know, it's not really. It's whatever, you know. That that was the the wars between Ted Turner's WCW and WWE Vince McMahon. Well, now what has brought me back in is I oh kept about God. two years ago. I kept hearing about a um, you know a lower tier uh, promotion called All Elite Wrestling, and I kept hearing about it. It was like you know, there were kind of these guys who had been sort of legends. Uh, they come from pedigrees in the wrestling industry, um, specifically Cody Rhodes, who's the um, son of Dusty Rhodes and the brother of Dustin Rhodes, um, and you know, both legends in in the wrestling industry. And uh, and so Cody Rhodes had kind of started this, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that I don't know exactly how it began. But what brought me into it was I heard that CM Punk was going to be back, and I liked CM Punk. And so I was what like, "What is even happening right now?" I know, right? And so I was like, "So let me let me just let me just hear what's what's going on. Let me just let me just tune in for AEW like on a Wednesday night. Let me just let me just find out." Yeah, as one does. 
and daggum but like like here's the thing like over time like i started watching it i started and i watched it and i'm telling you man like aew have some legit street cred man they've got good talent they've got great wrestling matches it's good storylines like it feels as close as i have ever felt to those early days of like the early 80s where you have elegante like you've got good, you've got really good character. No, well, now these days it's all about Andrade uh, El Idolo. But um, so yeah, like sorry, <laughs> right? Um, so but no, you- like uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> and man, the American, you know, the American Dragon Brian Danielson, man, he's 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 cleaning house, and um, you know, so basically, like I'm just back into it now, and it's kind of silly because the other day my my wife was like getting ready for you know what for her day or whatever this was in the uh actually i think this was a time in the evening we were going to be going out uh either like to run some errands grocery store whatever and she hears me from the other room just go like whoo <laughs> like again like and start cheering what's going on she's like she's like is my husband watching sports that doesn't happen she walks out she looks at the tv oh it's wrestling okay <laughs> and so and so like i have gotten back into it and uh, and that kind of closes off that portion of the story. I've gotten back into wrestling. Specifically, I watch AEW Dynamite on Wednesdays, and I watch AEW Rampage uh, on uh, is it Friday or Saturday night? I think it's Friday night. And um, so yeah, because the DVR just records it, and I'm just like, oh, I've got more AEW. Here I go. Um, so that's very very exciting for me. I, I I do I feel wanna, like I don't even know you. <laughs> right. I do want to throw a recommendation for eight uh small documentary not that they're all a piece uh a and e did documentaries on some legends of wrestling including the ultimate warrior and stone cold steve austin sean michaels those a and e documentaries even if you are not that into wrestling they are one i'm so glad you've seen them josh they are wonderful they are really really wonderful they're every single one of them very well constructed they're great as documentaries if you're curious like what the deal is and what the story is for each of these individuals it's it's remarkably inspiring and uh in the case of like the ultimate warrior story like you know even mildly redemptive to a degree and so like yeah it, there's there's some really cool stuff macho man randy savage had one uh, an episode on there uh i think probably my favorite pound for pound might have been either brett the hitman heart or or the ultimate warrior, but I loved them all, all of the A and E ones. The Booker T one was great. So yeah, that's my recommendation. I'm back into wrestling and I'm loving it. Unbelievable. I'm, I'm not into WWE. I am you're I am still sting. You're still stinging from that? No, listen, here's the thing. Speaking <laughs> of sting, and then I'll and then I'll get into your story. The legend, the legend, the icon, Sting, is <laughs> at AEW. He's at eight at years a- old. Yeah, he's like 62, and he the man is still wrestling. He matched a tag team with Darby Allen, and he took he took the guns. I'm sure down. he did. Like he demolished them. Okay. Oh my god! You can't you can't fight the Scorpion <laughs> Deathlock. Okay, like it's not it's not going to happen. You're not Stinger Splash. It's just you you just it's not unbelievable. Good Listeners, this is not <laughs> made for this moment. I really had no idea. My friend of 20 years had like you know jumped off the hey, deep end. Speaking huh. of that. Reed, so you're mentioning the documentaries just real fast. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Randomly, uh, <laughs> I used those documentaries as a in a in a, a message. Oh, last you did? Year or oh. So. I did. I led into whatever I was talking about, talking about wrestling. And, uh, <laughs> awesome. and the irony was that later that afternoon, I had a senior adult in our church text me saying, thank you for the recommendation. I've really enjoyed the Booker T documentary. <laughs> That's so great. Oh my god, that's so great. That Booker T one was great. That was really good. So, like, no, honestly, like what Nathan said, like, still stings. Here's the deal: we used to sit down. 
we used to sit down and have like what we called Mario Kart therapy. We would play video games together. And that, you know, I have a lot of fond memories of playing different video games with Nathan over time. We would play Mario Kart. We would talk about life. It was really, it was really warm, you know, and I loved wrestling and I loved video game wrestling. And I remember that I used to, I, I used to think it was brilliant that you could make your own characters. So if I didn't like somebody at work, I could create them within wrestling game and I could just kick their ass. Like it was really, really great. Uh, that was, that was one of my favorite, one of my favorite things to do. You just violated <laughs> the first rule of video game fight club. No, I know. I know. Sorry. Sorry. I'm not supposed to talk about that. Um, but when, when I would play wrestling with my dear friend of 20 plus years, Mr. Nathan Rouse, he is really, really good at video games. He's also, Josh, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but somewhat competitive. And he's, he's, you know, he's just a little bit, just a little bit. He's worse. And so, uh, I, 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 well, whatever. Yeah. And so, uh, my only experience is you. So (laughs) God only knows. Um, so we're playing wrestling and I'm not as good at, as he is at the rest. He is mopping the floor with me. It is a squash match. Anytime I am sitting there with him, he is just absolutely mopping the floor with me, but that's not even what made me mad. Like I'm getting frustrated <laughs> because I'm pressing the buttons and the character is not doing anything. I th- send him with an Irish whip into the ropes. He comes back. I do not execute the clothesline. He knocks me down. I don't understand how that happened, but it did. And the crowd is going wild and everything. But what really got under my skin is there was one time we were playing and I am trying desperately to get the upper hand in this match. And suddenly he executes a move on me and then verbalizes out loud to the room. Just he and I there. And he's just like, oh, that's cool. I didn't know it could do that. And I'm sitting here. I'm like, I am right here. You're not (laughs) playing a computer right now. Like I am right here. The man is just testing out moves moves. on me. In this wrestling thing, and I was like, I'm never playing wrestling with you. You like my wrestling I'm just, dummy. I'm just yeah. not. I'm just not doing it anymore. Yeah. Well, well you know, you know, Reed, that every time he'd come home from school, that we get our friends together and we play to the wee hours of the night. That oh game. Oh my gosh! Wow. And Royal Rumble, and uh, yeah, we. Yeah, we, I never stood a chance. He was. No he was. You didn't. Know, he was. He was actually working the territories every yeah. single time, and then he would come in, and I'm just sitting here. I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm. I'm the baby face coming up on there and then he's the heel he's the dirtiest player in the game gonna come right up there and then just like charge it in what a Uh, weird moment that's happening right now because what's what's (laughs) really what's really amazing about life triangulating at the moment is josh and i and our uh, uh, listeners josh and i are two years apart and in our youth youth days our young days would watch stay up late and watch God, I don't even remember, Josh. I mean, it was some WrestleManias over time. It was it was, it was oh. called uh it was Saturday night, some something uh WWF Saturday night something. Oh, okay. But that was Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, all sure. of that oh, class. Yeah. Uh oh, so man. yeah, this is I remember this is great. the genius off the couch. The yeah. genius. The genius. Do you know you saw that that the genius is the macho man's brother in real life? Yes. I never knew yeah. That. Uh, Larry Poffo, I think is his, yeah. is his real name, but yeah, yeah. Well, you just ruined it. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, that's, his, that's Macho Man. I mean, Josh, name. Josh used to, uh, consistently for years kind of yell to me to be the man. You got to beat the man. And he stopped oh, doing true. that once that's I could so finally true. beat the man <laughs> consistently. <laughs> it's like you did it to, to illustrate just how much of a wrestling family we were. The two of us, we are in our forties. We were in our 30s when we broke our mother's couch horsing around oh my at gosh. their house like that. That definitely happened. Wow. 
Josh, right. if you're not watching AEW, I mean, Sting's there, Tully Blanchard's there, Arn Anderson is there, uh, Matt Hardy's Tully Blanchard's big, still alive? Tully Blanchard is managing a great tag team right oh, now, the okay. FTR. Like, man, he's he's he, it's great. It's great stuff. Like, yeah. Reed, I will tell you, I do see the commercials for AEW watching like TNT basketball, and I always think, I wonder who watches this. Oh, me. I do. <laughs> I do. I do. I do. Faithfully. Faithfully. That's I good watch to know. It. So yeah. now I'll think of you every time I see that commercial. It's great stuff. It's great stuff. All right. Take us away, Islands. Please. What you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? My man said, my man said, please. (laughs) That was just a wild, no clue that was coming. Yeah, that was was something else. Amazing. So speaking of amazing. Whoa, do you remember remember the character we created on that show? I mean, on that video game? You remember Harry Bozak? (laughs) 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 We made him bald, but he had chest hair all over him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> this no i didn't cutting, this baby really oh no it won't no it won't <laughs> oh, oh my god that's incredible no that's but now i just want to play a wrestling game yeah <laughs> uh all right so anyway right. here we are ted lasso on, season two on that midnight um, train to royston yeah so i guess reed if you want we'll we'll kind of track through these two episodes uh, and like we did on Lasso season one, we are going to do a breakdown of our favorite scenes. We're going to do a that. Sure. So, right. But is your thought, let's do the episodes individually first. Uh, yeah, let's get, let's get through that. that and I would sense. say, yeah, I would I'm, say, I'm you, sorry. My brain is trying to recenter in the moment. I'm just so <laughs> thrown by the weird life confluence that's happening. I know. Look, you, you get it. You weren't expecting it. I just came in there with a concerto. I hit you right over the head with the steel chair. <laughs> you <laughs> stupid <laughs> idiot. Stop. God. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> man, just trying to the, you got the mouth of the south up in here. That's right, just Jimmy Hart, shut man. up. The man's yeah. trying to cut a promo, and I'm just like, no, nope, I won't let you have it. <laughs> I won't let you have it. <laughs> oh my god, I'm sorry. Josh is waiting for us to get going. All right, okay. Midnight okay. Train to Royston. So, episode eleven. Um, oh god. Uh, <laughs> Josh, we have been (laughs) tracking through season two because Nate is Nate in a whole new way in season two and making note of various Nate-isms, the breadcrumbs that the show leaves for us that we might not have realized were breadcrumbs along the way. So feel free to note some of that as we go. Uh, But Midnight Train to Royston mainly is about uh, Sam's being groomed by Edwin Akufu. uh, uh, he is a Ghanan, right? Because he's not from Nigeria. Because he keeps Ooh. crapping on, right? <laughs> yes, hey, emulate, hey, emulates hey, crapping hey. on. Why are um, you jumping to my favorite scenes? <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm trying to just get on the train right now. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's what this episode is mainly about. Kind of the what will Sam do scenario. But we also have the um, <laughs> just take it away, Reed. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even gonna bother. <laughs> So, okay. So yes, um, Sam is being, um, 
uh, enticed to come and work for uh, Edwin Akufu. And he is, um, he's got a really, really big decision to make because obviously he has this burgeoning romance with Rebecca that has just recently ended. As of the end of episode 10, they had broken up. Um, so Sam has some personal reasons for wanting to try to, you know, figure out what he, what he should do and where he belongs. Um, also concurrent to this is um, that Keely is being featured uh, in Vanity Fair. And she's going to get a, a very, uh, you know, a big push as women in business and uh, women who are just making it happen. Um, there's also some growing tensions, very, very deliberately, with Nate on the team, and specifically, like we've seen him have some rough patches all through the season. But this is where the false nine comes into play, and over the course of the next two episodes, it's really going to come to a head. Um, so I'm trying to see if there's any other major plot points in, oh yeah. And it's, uh, Dr. Sharon's last day. So, uh, it's her last day. And the big Nate Keeley kiss, uh, happens. In this oh, that's true. Episode when, as well. when they're, yeah, uh, when they're it depends shopping. on whose vantage point that's from. That's a good point. How, how big it actually was. Sure. Mm -hmm. Fair. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. That's Indeed. true. That's true. Uh, I will throw the big first big Nate crumb, uh, on the pile here when he has the line. You guys ever want to be in charge, be the boss, get all the credit. You're like, daggum, this dude is there it is falling, falling off. Yep. Um, Josh, what are some specific highlights for you from this episode? Uh, I tell you, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, <clears> but I, this is, is this the episode where Dr. Sharon has the bike accident? No, no, that was earlier. Early. That was, that's uh, right. That happens earlier. Yeah. Well, what, what I love about this episode with her and Ted is you see the culmination of their relationship. Mm -hmm. And this is pinball at the bar. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pinball. And uh, with her, with her funny name, uh, with SMF. That's right. That's mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I love where they take that relationship and, you know, he's so hurt, uh, wanting her to see the, uh, the, the team do the the bye 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 uh oh, okay. God, that's hysterical from, uh, from NSYNC and which I mm -hmm. honestly I felt kind of let down that we didn't get to see that. Um, right. Just the rehearsal. I, I love that. And and one of the things I was going to mention one of my quotes that she has earlier when when she has the bike accident, she's talking on the phone. Um and, and when she she's talking to her friend about Ted and she said he refuses to open up. <laughs> And when he gets anywhere close to being vulnerable, he fires off a zinger or some obscure reference to something very specific to a 40-year-old white man from middle America. <laughs> and, and I'm not a 40-year-old white man from middle America, but I am a 40-year-old white man. White man, And I, it's almost like she punched me in the face with that line. <laughs> you know, like, oh, golly, Dr. Sharon's just reaching through the TV and, and you know, coming up with what's up with me too. Um, but I love mm -hmm. how they brought that. You know, from where it started with her, he was so intimidated by her early and they get to that point where he where they're just hanging out um, in the pub and uh, mm -hmm. he leaves her the note, you know, the buy note with the army man. In her it's drink. wonderful. Uh, I, I just love that scene. And with this being the next to last scene, the next last episode in the in the season, um, you know, there, there's almost this episode is one that I, I don't hate. I struggle with penultimate scenes, uh, episodes. I keep saying scenes, but episodes, because you know, you know what's coming. Like there's something yeah. big coming, mm -hmm. and so with this episode, uh, you know, part of me was like, okay, what, 
it's 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 so getting me primed up for what's to come with Nate, with Keely, with Roy, with uh, Ted, Dr. Sharon, all this stuff. And so um, I did love that. And even the, the Akufu stuff, which, which I'll mention more in about 12, but yeah, uh, certainly. Yeah. Just, a, it's it, just another great episode in this, this second season of Ted Lasso. Uh, I feel like I need to comment on, cause you brushed past it. The, I found hysterical the intensity of the celebration when beard compliments the team on their bye 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 dance like oh absolutely they hang mm-hmm. on that scene and they are going nuts like it's <laughs> you know, like like they won promotion it is so yes. funny how much they from a production standpoint commit to that bit it's hysterical it's wonderful no it's so wonderful what are, um and <clears throat> admittedly for the whole season we're going to be going to like that so right and everything like that is there anything else that maybe you wouldn't mention in those contexts that you want to mention nathan about the uh, midnight train to Royston, the episode. Um, I do love, even though the actor doesn't appear on screen, I love Trent Krim's presence in this episode. Um, yes. in the text of Ted, and 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 he resurfaces in the finale. Um, you know, we can put a pin in it as a maybe we discuss it in this moment, maybe we save it for the finale. But I'm a little on. I'm pretty on the fence with where the show steers Roy and Keeley. Um, and I'm not, I I don't think it's inappropriate to, to kind of shake up character dynamics, but there's a, the actors deliver and the show gives quality material, but it still feels a little forced to this early in the show's run to go ahead and rock their boat. And, and I, I don't really love that about about season two uh so again I'll, I'll throw that on the pile as a something to possibly ponder as we discuss the finale as well but the the reason i throw it in here is just the seeds of it in the vanity fair shoot um, right it's pretty strongly played yeah no um, I, I agreed with that i do want to mention something that actually <clears throat> harkens back to episode 10 um so not in this episode but i think we see it playing out and i will elaborate more on it maybe when we get into uh broader themes or maybe discuss the character arc of Nate more specifically is there's a moment towards the tail end of episode 10. That was the funeral episode where we Rupert attended the funeral of Rebecca's father. And then we see a moment where Rupert goes and whispers something in Nate's ear. We are not privy to what he said, but he whispers something in Nate's ear. Nate has a very, you know, distinct reaction to it. And then what I will say about it is that, when he turns around, the moment you cited earlier, Nathan, where he turns around and says, have you ever just wanted to be the boss, be in charge, get all the credit? That is the first moment that I've been tracking with Nate's arc through this whole season. That was the first moment when even tracking the arc, I was like, that feels so just out of left field. Feels like just what is what is that? Where's that coming from? And so we're not, I'm speculating here because we're not privy to what Rupert told him, but maybe leading forward with a little bit of what I'll unpack further about my understanding of Nate's arc is I really feel like whatever it was that Rupert said to him, whatever he whispered into his ear, I feel like that probably was the, the, the pivot point, the crux for all of the other internal things Nate was struggling with. Well, now he's been given a hinge point of something. I have no idea what Rupert said to him. Maybe he said something like, let me know when you're ready to climb out from under Ted's shadow or whatever it is, you know, whatever he, whatever Rupert said to Nate 
um, you know, I feel like that was probably the turning point for him that sent him on the path. We will see him now that we've been seeing him sort of prep for that. We'll see him absolutely spiral down over this episode and next episode. So I wanted to mention that before we moved on from it, but anything else I would mention would, would probably either be for the, for our lists stuff from this episode. Well, let's jump into 12, inverting the pyramid of success, um, which in, in a lot of ways is primarily dealing with the fallout of the news about Ted's panic attack, it being Nate who sourced it, um, and just the, the the I mean, it is the finale of the season, so kind of all the major threads get some nods here. Um, I'll, I'll lead with a funny, and then Josh, if you want to pick out some highlights for you, uh, there's a great moment to Roy's reflecting to the Diamond Dogs on his... Mm-hmm. reaction to the vanity fair piece running and him not being in any of the photos <laughs> he just says that they didn't use any photo with me in it and it hurt my feeling like feeling <laughs> <laughs> yes but it hurt my feeling i just i was like that is that's fantastic script <laughs> to, to have that moment there uh so so yeah just kicking down the door a little bit josh g- give us some highlights for you of uh good or bad of the finale you know i i love I love where they, they brought this season um, in. I love how it kind of culminates in this, this last episode with so many ways that they bring storyline together here. And one of them, uh, you know, that sticks out to me is, is Jamie handing off. Well, soccer, he doesn't hand it, but Jamie mm. passing up the, the kick to uh, Danny, Danny Rojas. Oh, man, and, that's um, great. It's a, such a fantastic <clears throat> scene. And then showing the little dog, you know, yeah. there, I mean, just the, tiny, tiny dog. That's right. It's oh, uh, it's just such a, a good scene of of seeing two characters who have come through some stuff. Um, and and again, I, I, I joked about my favorite scene, but the the dog on the way that the Akufu stuff <laughs> resolves. Oh my <laughs> word! I mean, I could watch that scene on repeat ten times a day. Oh um, my gosh, even, even down to his uh his second command crud what's his name is it what's was his name i don't remember yeah but the, i don't the, yeah the, i don't fake. remember yes, he, like, uh, he gives him the no not so fast oh my <laughs> yeah. gosh even that josh gold. josh i don't know if you're familiar with that actor i wasn't really but he reed and i just watched a movie together actually recently called werewolves within that you'd actually mm-hmm. enjoy i know you don't tend to love the horror stuff but it's a, a scary comedy and it's not really that right. scary uh but he and it's a kufu, yeah, it's a kufu. he's, 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 the, he's the star of it um and it's you you'd enjoy that movie so you got to check that out knowing your affection he, he's been in a number of things he was in uh i know he's in veep oh yeah oh. he also which nathan we've talked about it but it's that the amazon movie with chris pratt he's in that as well and he's it was tomorrow, tomorrow war. or whatever yeah, it is yeah, yeah. but he's he's uh comedic relief in that and he's anything he's in I, i'm i'm already primed to laugh because I, I think he's he's a funny dude well you should Man. check that movie out um reed his what are some highlight i'm sorry go ahead i was just gonna say yeah his blitzkrieg when when sam turns him down is hysterical it is so it's so over the top it's hysterical um so yeah okay i i love i'll mention because it probably wouldn't make one of my lists, but I do love it. Um, Ted eating breakfast after the story has broken. And I love the sequence of, you know, he gets some support from Rebecca, who's like, F the haters. And then he gets Sharon's audio message, which repeats what I cited earlier as uh, Josh. I don't, I don't know if you uh, 
have been tracking our conversations up to this point, and it's okay if you haven't been, but I said it, I said earlier that if any line in this show is going to rival be curious, not judgmental, it will it was Dr. Sharon's line from an earlier episode of the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Mm-hmm. And so when she repeats that to him in that audio message, I just loved that so much. But I even found it very heartwarming and tender, the exchange he has with his wife. You know, there's still obviously yeah. some tension there, but there, I, I just found it very lovely. She cares enough about him to check in on him, but there's still that little bit of like distance, you know, when he says early morning or late night and I love just the subtlety of the three dots and the three dots go away. And he, he, he reads that moment, right. Where he's like, okay, no, 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 not going to do that. Um, so yeah, I, I would cite that. I, I love that very, very much. And the second thing that I would mention that probably wouldn't be part of bigger, broader conversations would be, um, when Keely finally does tell, um, Rebecca that she's going to be having her own company and, the you know the developers of banter are going to give her her own thing, and I just love it so much. Where she said you know uh, where Rebecca says a little bit of advice about being the boss, hire your best friend, and uh, I just thought that was just lovely. It was it's a whole the whole moment was really really uh, touching, and I loved it very very much. Yeah, so that's me on it. Well, let's let's do this. I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the Nate for a moment because Josh, you and I haven't talked in a while about season two and and actually read you and I've chatted some, but, but not extensively mm-hmm. because when we, when my wife and I finished season two finale, there was more head scratching and mild angst than there was joy, uh, which was an uncommon sure. experience for Ted Lasso, given my deep love for season one, uh, inclusive of its finale. And so this whole experience rewatching it for the, for the podcast, I've been trying to enter into some new perspective and figure out, you know, okay, what am I, do I still feel some of those similar things? You know, can we iron some of that stuff out? And Josh, something that has come up in these discussions tracking season two is from a meta narrative level, when is, um, uh, is sometimes can it be too subtle? Like mm, the yeah. Nate stuff, if you don't know what's happening narratively, there's a it's a pretty strong swerve at the end. And and in a way that can be, I think, jarring and was definitely to me the first time. Now, retracking it, you know, of course, I'm prepped for it. Uh, and so clearly this is leaning into the the final kind of five minutes or so, 10 minutes or so of the episode. Um you know, I, I'm a bit more open to what it's doing. Just part of it is like, well, this is what the show's doing. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm choosing to engage with it and get on with it. I'm more sympathetic to it. I think the Nate arc troubles me less. Here's how I'll parse it. The, the final finale, like the last run of five to seven minutes kind of bothers me more still than the uh, the Nate arc itself, the Nate arc itself, emotionally, I'm kind of upset about just because it is so tragic. I mean, Reed, you and I chatted today and, and even the scene in the locker room when Beard and Ted are petitioning the team, do we want to stick with this or not? And they begin to rally around the sign. If you watch, I think his name's Nick Muhammad. If you watch him in that scene, just stare at Nate. It is yeah. 
Mm-hmm. It is boiling underneath. And, and he does a great yeah. job. Like that actor delivers all season. But what's so interesting about the show, and I do think it's interesting, and this is not a slight, is they totally subvert their entire kind of architecture. Like, yeah, let's let's play with this isn't going to be rosy. This isn't going to end well. This is a character who's dealing with actual uh it's amplified because it's a tv show but it's actual feelings people have in terms of resentment and 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 pain at a sensed abandonment father she's blah blah blah, all this sort of stuff so so i'm kind of reconciled myself okay and i don't even mind you know he defects and now is with rupert that sets up some interesting future story stuff but i don't know I, i'm still not totally on board with those last 10 minutes and i'll i'll vocalize them so y'all can engage them as you want if at all but I, I think this is just a technical thing. I, I find it really odd the five days later, three weeks later, two months later. I just, I don't love, it feels like an odd choice to not consolidate some of that. I didn't love that, that we get a Sam moment there at the end, not because I don't love Sam, but because it felt like an odd inclusion for a finale moment. Like I wanted, hmm. if we're going to do more, give me some more Ted wrestling with what's going on or something. I don't know. And, but the biggest sticking point to me still is kind of the Roy Keeley stuff. I think, I think the show does so well by them at their best that to then kind of foist what to me still feels relatively ambiguous at the end of it. Um, you know, emotionally, it feels like a dissolving, Mm -hmm. but her literal line is no, we're not breaking up. And so I'm, I'm just kind of torn over how to kind of, part of it is it is what it is but i don't i don't love the choice that direction i don't i can don't I, really care for it yeah can I inter- so i'm going to interject something that might uh firm up your dislike for it but oh, um, but one thing that you that you may not be attuned to <clears throat> i don't even know i'm going to give some credit to my wife because she's the one who um pointed this out to me but the show ted lasso does name drop more than once uh, Cheers references, like references to the to the TV show Cheers. If you have never seen Cheers, there is a central relationship between Sam and Diane that um, is uh, kind of on again, off again. It's very frustrated. They're kind of opposites attract kind of thing for the first half of, of the Cheers run. But midway through the run of Cheers, what Diane says to Sam, she has, without getting into a ton of needless uh, weeds, she has an opportunity that she's choosing to go pursue instead of being with Sam. And she says to him, we're going to be fine. I will see you in six months. She says, I will see you in six months. She never returns. She never, she, so then she, Diane, the character in Cheers, never returns to rekindle the relationship. That's Shelley Long. Sam. That's Shelley Long. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. She's she's back. Uh, she appears yeah. again in the finale, but but like through then it pivots and she's off the show for like seasons at a time. Um, and so I feel that that Roy and Keeley moment. And again, I'm going to pat my wife on the back because she's the one first pointed this out and convinced me of it. I feel like that's a very intentional call out and homage, and that when season three returns, Roy and Keeley will not be together. And I do not know sure. what the context around it will be, but they will not be together. Things will have continued and wherever they may wind up together because Cheers is a lovely show and ends very well and in, in some places that I think, if that is what they're going for, I'm excited to see how they overlay a thing like that in Ted Lasso. But, um, but, but yes, if that was a call out, 
season three will will open with Roy and Keeley actively not together. And that's fine. I mean, what, yeah. like I, I, I don't <laughs> I mean, whatever, like that's no, no. not me dismissing you at all. I'm I'm saying I, I don't mind metatextual winks and homages. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think from an emotional standpoint, this is this is really getting in the weeds. It's different eras of TV and I've got 12 episodes to right. de- to live yeah. to live with these characters that that in a previous era was 20 to 30 and some of those earlier sitcoms sure. more than that. Sure. And I know, well, I don't know. I ha- I I would wager money Juno Temple isn't leaving the show, so she's nah, around. Gonna, she's going to be And around, so I yeah. I guess it's more just the a little bit of frustration. Like sure. I'm mm-hmm. I'm even okay with winks and nods. Leaving me really uncertain like it feels unnecessarily uncertain. I'll leave it there. Um, oh, yeah, Josh, yeah, yeah. What, what were you, Josh, I feel like you ended season two very, very high. Do, do you resonate with any of the um, sort of, I guess, frustrations I'm, I'm referencing or, or are you kind of cool in general with it? Yeah, well, we had talked a little bit about the difference. In t- it felt like there was a tonal difference in season two. Mm-hmm. Where where one to me was was so Ted centric, two two I feel like moves into the the other uh, circles of of influence around him that there's so much dealing with uh, with Rebecca with uh, you know Keely with Roy with even stinking uh, McAdoo gets a gets an episode yeah. where they're working through some stuff which is a great episode. Um, it, and so you, you see some of that and where I was impatient with some of that early, um, I kind of got on the, I kind of got on board with it. Um, I, I, even the Nate stuff, um, I saw, I read an interview with Sudeikis where he compared this season to uh, uh, Empire Strikes Back mm, uh, sure. in, terms, yeah. in terms of it not ending the way you wanted it to end. Right. Um, Right. And and I didn't get it when I read it. I was like, oh, well, what the heck is going to, you know, I thought thinking what's going to happen here. But upon rewatching season Ted's two, Ted's going to lose a hand. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Which he does in that extended episode. Um, but <laughs> um, I, in rewatching the series, I thought it was so interesting that it begins through Nate's eyes. Mm-hmm. The opening scene of, yep. of, of the first episode is through Nate's eyes. And then it ends through a much more gray headed Nate's eyes. Um, And so that was interesting. You know, I I wouldn't say it's, it's a, I felt like season one's like masterpiece level. I wouldn't say this one is, but I would say there's a lot going on in this one. And you know what? Um, And Nathan, we talked a little bit about this, that I'm kind of okay with not knowing everything and, and not even being okay with some of this stuff. Um, I listened to a something on the ringer about, and it was Chris Ryan who said something about, you know, that Nate is almost a, is almost a reaction or even a refutation of what he calls lassoism. That mm-hmm. he, he is one of the few characters that responds differently uh, to what's going on. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think as a whole, it's, you know, it, it is, it's, it's this great masterpiece, but I, I do, I am intrigued by it i'm with you though at the, at the end I, i'm never really a fan of the two weeks five days you know letting it play out type stuff the montage stuff but it was interesting watching again watching it again 
with the Sam parks. I know me and you had talked about that. Like, well, what the heck is going on with Sam, the Nigerian restaurant? Did I miss something? Yeah. You know, yeah. what I saw with him was instead of him going and leaving, that he's bringing it back. Sure. With him. sure. Mm-hmm. And, Agreed. Yeah. And there's something beautiful about that that I didn't catch the first time watching through it, but I did love that scene, you know, with him and his, in the scope of who he was and is becoming. And, um, right. Yeah. It's, well, and it's, I, it's, I think, I think we're circling similar ideas here. And for me, ultimately the, the sort of frustration is, is, perhaps um the show doing well by what it's doing uh for me in other words mm-hmm. um you know i i it, it is in the way that season one isn't season two is incomplete like mm-hmm. there are definitive residual elements for a show about a we can call it this a fantasy of of kindness goodness gentleness towards fellow man Season two says, okay, well, let's, let's pop that fantasy a little bit with the notion that some of these things are real. Some of these feelings that these characters are having, what if we play that out in a real way? Uh, Josh, yeah. you made the, the refutation comment. I think it was an article you shared with me where they acknowledge Nate, the, the, the monologue Nate gives um, is kind of the voice of the audience, which is why is this character not with his child whom he claims to love so much? And, and, you know, so, so it's kind of, it's doing a lot of work and I can, I can respect that. And there's a world where post season two, I have, uh, can reflection, uh, with new content, look back and be like, okay, I, I I can live with it. It kind of irons itself out, but it's kind of what I'm for the season. Yeah, please. Just just because we're, we're, this feels like the most appropriate moment to sort of make this, this interplay, when we three got together to discuss season one, uh, we mentioned at least in passing, or <clears throat> maybe it was in the undertone, I can't remember if we explicitly stated it, that a lot of the tone of season one is showing you that you can lose and you can still win. Like, even, you know, they, they, they lose at the end. You don't expect them to, but Manchester City, and courtesy of Jamie Tart, they lose and they get relegated, but they still win. They win community. They win all of these other things. And so that was, a sh- that was a season about showing that you can lose and you can still win. And I really feel like this season overall, among a myriad of other things it might be doing, is about how you can win and still lose because they Come win promotion. <laughs> or they or, or win. You, can tie, you can tie and still lose. You can tie and still lose. It still happens. Um, because like, think about it. On paper, like what's happened? The team has earned promotion. That's happened. And then on paper, uh, Keeley has been given this profound opportunity, but now her relationship is with, with, with Roy is at risk. Um, Sam is coming into his own, but, but then, you know, and Sam and Rebecca, like they have, you know, shared a thing, but then there's also some tension there. And we don't know if that's really going to progress the way it, the way it goes. And, uh, and then all that is wrapped up with Nate. So I really feel like not trying to be cutesy here. If the first season is about, showing you that you can lose and still win. I really do feel like season two is about how you can win and still lose. And it remains to be seen from where we're sitting, having this conversation, how season three will interplay those two narratives together. Um, But I think because of that, that's certainly a much less comfortable Mm -hmm. narrative to follow, Mm -hmm. to recognize like, Oh yeah, you can win and still lose Um, that, that that's less optimistic. We like hearing stories about how, yeah, you didn't, you, you didn't win the big game, but you won all of these other things. 
we don't like hearing about the stories about where you get the thing you wanted or you get the thing you're after. And then along the way, you lost this, you lost this, you lost this, but both are really vital stories to engage with. Just one is less comfortable than the other. And I think season one set up the audience of Ted Lasso to be like, this is the huge heartwarming show. And I think it's a little bit more mature than that, a little bit more complicated than that. And, 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 and it's okay if the responses are in kind, a little bit more complicated, a little bit more nuanced. Um, I think that's okay. Reed, I'm happy for us to pivot to the, either that's the right or, or favorite scenes. But for you, I'll ask, uh, you weren't nearly as sort of on the fence as I was the first time through at the end, mm-hmm. as we've had this ongoing conversation about how subtle is too subtle. Do, are you like, ah, it is what it is. Do you, do you feel like, the weight of Nate's punch is earned, you know, what, what are your sort of, it's hard to, uh, so for me, the short answer is yes, they earn it for me. Uh, Watching it through, especially, I feel like they did the work. Sure. And, and, and I feel like the only reason that the first time through you don't see it coming is because you don't expect a character like that to do something like that. You, you right. don't want it. You don't want to see it come. Yes. No. Absolutely. No. Absolutely. Yeah. And so you're kind of in denial, and you're kind of just waiting for the character to come back around. But all of us, I say all of us. I, I think most people have experienced a rift to a relationship. They've experienced something where it's like, man, we used to be like, we used to be like this, and now it just there was a falling out. And if you're lucky, and if you do the work, those relationships repair. But I think probably an alarming amount of us, maybe all three of us in this conversation, have relationships, friendships that we could point to, uh, maybe you know familial relationships or something that we could point to. It could be like, yeah, that relationship never, never repaired. It was it 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 ended poorly, ended badly, and uh, and it never repaired. And so I think to that end, it really works for me. Like what happens with with Nate really works for me. Something that I might talk about after we get on the other side of. Of, of that's so right. And after we get on the other side of, of our favorite lists is, uh, but, I'll, but I'll tease in this moment is that in many, in many ways, watching it this second time around, I've equated what happens with Nate in his arc uh, to a, a, a real loss of faith. Like he, he was brought into an experience where he really believed a lot. And then uh, at the end, again, I'll, I'll, I'll unpack it a lot more once we get on the other side of our lists, but he literally takes the believe poster and rips it to shreds. Like he is literally visually and symbolically like that character has lost faith. He's lost faith in Ted, maybe to a large degree has lost faith in, in, in a lot of things that he took uh, for granted. And um, I'm not trying to be glib or silly here. Like when the leaves are getting ready on a tree or getting ready to die and fall off, they lose their color. Yeah. It's a really, it's a really obvious, uh, 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 visual representation but his turning gray through the course of the series he's losing something piece after piece he's losing something um and uh, it's not just chalk it up to stress or whatever that's a very visual thing of like hey he's entering in to his winter he's entering into something where uh you know he's he's really lost a lot and so to that degree i have a lot of sympathy and i do think the show earns that i think mm-hmm. the only reason that i shouldn't say the only reason because that feels dismissive I think the reason it doesn't work for a lot of people is because Josh, to your point, we didn't want to see that happen for his character. Yeah. That's not what we're after with this show. Um, and, and so because we didn't want to see that, then we, we want, we're kind of in a maybe reactive denial that that's, you know, like they didn't, they didn't, they didn't bring us there. That, that character was never that thing. Yeah. But that's, 
that's the way life goes sometimes. That's the way characters are sometimes is, you know, that that's the one that, you know, it's the hope that kills you. So, um, but anyway, that's my answer to your question. Well, let's, how about we, uh, how about we do some, that's so right real quick. I like it. Take us away, Andrew. That's so right. It's just so right. It's just so right. That's just so Here we are at That's So Right. We are each going to uh, uh, check our list. And Josh, as our guest, you get to pick your top most uh, uh, as you assess Ted Lasso season two. What is the thing you would identify as? Oh, so right. <laughs> um, I, I tell you, in, in reading something you said a minute ago that you're talking about the difference between season one and season two, how season one is almost a, you know, it's, it's almost the gospel according to, to Ted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Well mm-hmm. then season two shows you these people trying to live by that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. for, for most of us, um, for almost probably everybody listening that when it comes to faith and belief and trusting in something that's bigger than yourself, that there's often a, a testing that has mm. to get that has to get worked out, and yeah. I think season two is all about seeing that get worked out. Um, mm. You know, and, and what it's doing for these characters or not doing in Nate's case um, uh, right now. Um, right. I, I, I see that as something that that I think this show nails is seeing characters uh, struggle with choices, even choices like Rebecca's choice to mm. to see Sam and and all this other yeah. stuff. Right. You're seeing, you're seeing characters struggle to make choices through this new lens that they have to see the world. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think the show just absolutely crushes that. Agreed. Nathan, what's. Did you just say you were about to <laughs> no, say I was I about to. I was about to do the I, I agree. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Um, what would you cite, Nathan? I think for me, man. It's kind of neck and neck here. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. So my, my, that's so rights are just two character names. And if you, if one, if Reed, you don't name the other one, I'll name it as my surrogate because it's basically number one as well. The only reason I'm going with the one I'm going with and it's Jamie Tart Mm. is there. They really impressively pull off a fully dimensioned character journey with that guy yes yes through these through, uh, through the whole show but but definitely manifesting in this season i mean yes that, absolutely yeah mm-hmm. that that the season ends that the jamie tart the one who shakes his ass for the crowd and points to his shirt and sings the shark song and <laughs> and uh, uh <laughs> god what is his line this uh, you know this oh i can't remember it sim season line, one line about himself aggrandizing and that <laughs> end that ends with him deflecting the moment of glory to danny like yes he yes, he chooses to kind of sublimate his own honor in yes. order to let mm-hmm. danny have his uh, not redemptive moment he didn't he didn't fail in a in a qualitative way when he inadvertently killed earl 
but not only is that a perfect symmet- perfectly symmetrical moment for the season, it's also just a great character bit that signals this is a really good guy. And and Josh, yeah. to your to your point about the show working out the the tedness of the world in its characters, that's someone for whom it really took. And mm-hmm. uh and he didn't, you know, he 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 is learning that via the signal when to turn it on on the field but also that it can and should be turned off mm-hmm. um so so no that that's my that's so right for this season is just the character journey of jamie tart yeah so i i might be citing the character that you oh, were good. go for it gonna be mentioning but if i'm not then you can after i'm, I'm mentioned this then i'm gonna cite two moments indicative of this but uh, but really, my that's so right is a is a scene, um, and it's not among my favorite scenes. It's just so right. Like I just, I really, yeah, I wanted to put it in, in including here. Um, you talk about Jamie Tart and the journey he goes through, and the moment that everybody is put on display, the tension that he has with his father, and that that whole that whole exchange in the locker room after the Manchester City loss. So everything that they're that they're struggling with right there, my that's so right is the moment where when Jamie is at his most broken and nobody else really knows what to do or how to respond. He's here, he's there, he's every F and where. Roy Kent steps forward and hugs that man in one of the most heartfelt, tender, just just powerful, powerful moments. And Roy Roy Kent. Uh, sort of writ large that moment specifically, but sort of Roy Kent is is somebody like I love what they do with his character. I loved him last. Se- I love him so much as a character last season, but what they do with him here, you know, his whole journey, you know, the dash back to the airport in the rom com episode, like everything that they do with Roy Kent in this season is just a is just an absolute delight uh admittedly yes, with an asterisk that, on the stuff against keely but uh sure but yeah well and yes so it was roy and jamie and the only reason i picked jamie is while while roy is such an incredible character there is a less visibly well-defined arc in Agreed. terms of mm-hmm. you know that that yes. kind of characterization and stuff and so that's the only reason i picked jamie but yeah i mean <laughs> brett goldstein his He's demeanor, his attitude, his facial expressions, his psychotic eyebrows, like he <laughs> just kills it. He is psychotic. A, I mean, it's astonishing. So, so Ted Lasso, the character, Ted Lasso, the pop culture phenomenon is one thing. But Brett Goldstein, as Roy Kent, has punched through pop culture in a way mm-hmm. that is just staggering that you don't see very often. And that's, mm, that's, that's pretty wild for a show only two years in. He's, he's, uh, the Han, he's the Han Solo. He wasn't supposed to be. Yeah. My mm. gosh. Everyone, everyone loves that guy. Yeah. Hey, Nathan, there's a line you mentioned Jamie and his journey, which is fantastic. But there's a line early in it when his agent says, You're like a son to me, a, a dead son, which means I love you more. Um, <laughs> and it's. <laughs> He just kind of sets up what this poor guy's dealing with at the beginning. <laughs> so great. Oh, God, it's so great. Mm. Oh, All man. right. So that has been another installment of That's So Right. Mm-hmm. That's just so right. Should we uh, move into favorite scenes? Let's do it. 
Josh, right. why don't, why don't, why don't you go first? So, so in descending order for you, if there is a mm-hmm. status ranking. Descending order. Uh, there, I don't have a status ranking, but okay. um, I, I mentioned earlier, Akufu's meltdown is, <laughs> is phenomenal. When he tells him he's going to buy his house and he's going to take a dump in every <laughs> room and then burn it down. <laughs> burn it down. And then, you know, it, it, the, scene, the scene is over and he walks out <laughs> and he starts like, you know, groping and, and, and just terrorizing the mannequin. <laughs> and then he starts motioning the, the poop. <laughs> yeah yeah oh my gosh it's <laughs> phenomenal so great i love it oh it's so great that's one the, the response of sam to that is really great too <laughs> yeah. oh, kind of just, just like, disbelief yeah like yeah. wow um i think reed do you want to go do you want me to go no i want you to go okay okay you might have said that um <laughs> illustrating the rouse brain uh uh pivoting completely the opposite direction in terms of tone and content uh, to me, my favorite scene of of perhaps the series, um, because of what it represents emotionally of the show, what it represents technically of the show, is the parallel uh, confessions of Ted and Rebecca in No Weddings and a Funeral. It's mm, mm, it's a mm. it's a masterful bit of filmmaking. Um, it is. While I would agree with anyone who says it doesn't represent necessarily the comedic elements of the series, uh, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. But what it does so well is character, is scripting, is editing, uh, mm-hmm. is all of the acting. I don't know if I said performance, like all of the elements are working in perfect. Heart. Like that's a scene when it's Amazing. happening the first time. I was kind of like, I kind of can't believe they're doing this so well like it is a tightrope right. to pull that off and and everyone delivers so that's that's probably my favorite scene of the season despite its heavy emotionality no i, I understood understood um descending order you said right mm. whatever you want to do lackey off right, the I'm top gonna... rope from the from outside the ring okay all right yeah that's right that's right you didn't see the elbow coming it's like right there i regret no okay so um i'm actually going to cite what what i would list as my favorite scene of this season okay um just because i, I don't want it to get stolen with apologies um when ted is so mad at dr sharon because she she's left and she wasn't gonna say goodbye and I love so, so much. And what it says about these characters, what it says about where they are when she's like, it's all in the letter. It's all in the letter. And so then he is, he's like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not ever reading your stupid letter. And then so, you know, like, and then so the scene kind of escalates. and He's like, all right, fine, fine. I'll read it. Don't read your stupid letter. And he starts reading it. And then, you know, you see Jason Sudeikis, just a wonderful performance moment for him. Because you see every thought going through his head. You see the humor the memory, and then you see the moment that whatever sentence he reads, that's the whammy, the, oh man, I was not expecting you to say that about me or about us or about this. And then he gets to the end of it. And, and I just love so much that there are sometimes in art and specifically film and TV where us not getting to see what happens is frustrating. I think the reason that can be frustrating is when we don't know the effect it has on the person, but when we can see the effect it has on the purpose uh, on the person, I kind of like that we don't get to know it. 
because I feel like it would cheapen it if I knew what was in that letter. I just need to know that Ted is so moved by what's in that letter. And so that that is my favorite scene of this entire season is when he reads Dr. Sharon's letter. Um, I'm going to I'm going to prop that scene up a little bit more for you, though. It was not on my list whatsoever. But, you know, just again, I can recognize some of the strong technical choices the show makes in season two. And that that letter scene is all about affirmation, mm. uh, encouragement, compassion, grace, heartening to another one to another. And it's but we as the audience aren't privy to the communication itself. Right. What is the other moment from the season where we are not privy to the communication itself? It is mm. its opposite. It is Rupert to Nate. It oh, that's right. The yes. devil on the that's shoulder. Right whispering of power versus mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. compassion grace and friendship i don't know that's really powerful sort no of that's random that's wonderful um, josh what's your next favorite scene um i could probably have taken every favorite scene from no weddings and a funeral mm-hmm. uh, yeah because mm-hmm. it is i think nathan i texted you after watching it i think it's my favorite probably my favorite episode of the whole series after watching this a second time I will say the doggone rom-com one is is just <laughs> is so so strong. That it's scene where Roy and this is not my my scene, but that scene where Roy's running at the end. Oh, oh man, pops his mm-hmm. knee in. You know, he gets so great. Um, it's great. But I was going to say it's it's when Rebecca gets up and stinking does never going to give you up. Um, oh, that, beautiful. That beautiful. scene could have so easily gone wrong. And in the wrong hands, it's it's stupid and it's cheesy and it's it's not what it became. Even when Ted starts singing with her, yeah, you're thinking, oh gosh, is this and but then you see the whole, you know, I'm not a fan of sing songy, you know, much, but um <laughs> but when that when that happens, you're in. I mean, yeah, you're, oh you're yeah, totally invested. And it you know, it takes you a minute to realize what she's singing, but then it's like, oh my gosh. This is incredible. You yeah. Know, she just Rick rolled her father's funeral <laughs> in the most beautiful way possible. And I, I, I love that scene. I love that episode. Uh, I think it's, it's highlight real stuff for this show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful stuff. Wonderful stuff. Um, I'll go, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, sort of throw out, fire out my other two real quick. Cause they've both been referenced and for the sake of time. So mm-hmm. one okay. is uh, the Roy Jamie moment post man city in the locker room. That's just a really powerful, powerful, powerful scene. Uh, that's, that's signaling some really great character work between characters we love. And then the third one is you had me at coach. I mean, oh, the entire, man. the entire sequence from him leaving the sort of faux sports center scenario and and returning to the actual pitch uh, culminating in the audience yelling he's here he's there he's everywhere i mean it's it's just a fantastic run uh uh for the character and and i'm going to cite it as my third favorite scene that's awesome um if you don't mind josh i'll go ahead and list my last two and then i'll pivot to you to bring us home if that's okay um so my last two which i'm having difficulty ranking which of them are my favorite uh, one of them is an ext- I'll mention this one first because it's an extension of what you just said, Nathan, and that's the interplay of the confessions between um, Ted and Rebecca, not between Ted and Rebecca, but Ted is right. talking to Dr. Sharon. Rebecca is talking to her mom. 
uh, Rebecca's talking about, uh, you know, finding her father's infidelity and Ted, uh, his father's suicide. And so they're having that. But the scene that I wanted to mention, the one that immediately follows that, we leave Rebecca and it stops the interplay. And Sharon asks Ted to say something about his father that he likes. Oh, and, so and, good. And then so good. when he tells the Johnny Tremaine story about how his father read, stayed up all night reading Johnny Tremaine so that his son wouldn't be nervous about a little test. And then that really breaks Ted down because he realizes like all of that emotion swelling in on him about what he never told his father and what he wishes he told his father. And then it called, <laughs> it's, this is, this is, Harkening back to what we loved so much about season one, this is when Ted Lasso like sort of gets that spirit again. Is because he said, "I don't know if this is you know illegal or whatever, but can I have a hug?" And she says, "Of course." And he said, "You're going to charge me for this session?" She said, "Of course I will, Ted." <laughs> and he says, "I appreciate your integrity." Like, That's great. Just, yes, it's, it's, I it's your wonderful. Yeah. It's just is is wonderful. Uh, and she's like, "And for the house call." <laughs> like it's just it, it's really it's really wonderful. But that whole sequence. His revelation yeah. about his father and everything. That's that that moment, um, which is an extension of, but but separate from the other one. And then the other one that I'll mention has a dark turn to it. That's also also been referenced about the um, uh, when they agree to go with the false nine through the second half of the last game, but they wanting to come in for a rally. And Isaac McAdoo looks up at that poster, and all the whole team goes up. Now, obviously, what's happening with Nate? in that moment is is frustrating and heartbreaking but the team coming forward they've never done that in that show we saw roy kent do it in one episode at the tail end but the team stepped forward and all touched the believe poster and that just i, I loved it so much it's one of my one of my favorite moments of this season so uh, that's that's my last two josh why don't you give us your third and then we'll 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 go out from there so the one i i written down was the roy jamie moment in the Mm, in the locker mm. room, which I think is so symbolic of almost everything that's going on in this season with fathers and sons and love. And, um, but, uh, since we've mentioned that a few times, I'll springboard into the, 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 uh, the funny version that happens, uh, in the last episode. I'm so glad you mentioned <laughs> Come together and he headbutts him. He's like, why did you do that? And he's like, so I can do this. You know, and he hugs oh, him. That's so great. It, it's, it's echoes. And we mentioned last time I was on um, how Ted Lasso uh, borrows from Major League, the movie from mm. you know, the late 80s, early 90s, whenever that came out. Um, but there's a scene with Corbin Burnson and Tom Beringer, Bering, Beringer, Beringer. Tom Beringer, who uh, <laughs> Tom Beringer is the Roy Kent. Yeah, um, he's the Roy Kent character. And Corbin Bernson is the the Jamie Tart, and they they just they win the pennant or whatever they do, and Behringer punches uh, Bernson because I think he might have slept with his wife. Um, <laughs> it was something that he shouldn't have done, and uh, but then they hug afterwards. You know, it's like yeah, uh, and pop. You know, he pops him. Um, but that was that was perfect. Just watching those two dudes and where they've come from. It, it, for some reason, I was reminded of that. The the for the kids episode with the, in the first season yeah, yeah for the yeah. children when, mm-hmm. when they when Ted forces them to say something good about the other one and there's Jamie mm-hmm. like burning his nipple with some kind of dip or something <laughs> <laughs> how far those two guys have come uh yeah absolutely it's just phenomenal watching these two once enemies now trying to move forward and and figure out what friendship looks like or or even just being coached a player what that looks like for them no, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Um, so yeah, those are f- some favorite scenes from season two of Ted Lasso. I, uh, I, I, we try pretty consistently to defer to guests when we're here. Uh, Josh, if you'll permit me, like, just like two, three minutes here. Reed uh, doesn't like deferring to anybody. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Never I'm true. Kidding. Um, Nobody puts Reed in the corner. Yes. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, so, but I have, I have something I want to go back to. I don't know that it will explode out into bigger thematic conversation, but it really struck me about the, the Nate arc coming back to that a little bit. I teased it a little bit earlier in this conversation, but I really feel like what resonated with me so much this time around was, you know, Nate's having a loss of faith. Um, you mentioned uh, Nathan Rupert as like a devil on his shoulder or whatever, but he's really having a crisis of faith in the, in this breakdown for anybody who's just listening to us, but you haven't seen Ted Lasso, you know, like Nate unloads on Ted and, you know, Ted is completely blindsided by it. Like he's, he's been trying to do right by Nate, despite the fact that he knows Nate utterly betrayed him to, because, because what Nate did by reaching out to Trent Krim and confessing Ted's panic attack, that was career assassination. Like, I think that it gets lost in the milieu of everything else that happens around the show, but like that can, and you can see it in the way people respond. If he had not had such a supportive, you know, team owner in Rebecca, like he could have been, he could have been fired for something like that. You know, like there's any number of ramifications that could have uh, arisen from that knowledge being out in the world. Um, so when Nate did it, it was career assassination. He absolutely is angry at Ted, furious at him, and is just like spit firing um, some things at him. And I really think that there's a crisis of faith when the t- they touch the believe poster, and he gets so incensed by that. I want to point out a couple of things in his tirade to Ted. He says that Ted made him feel like the be- best person in the world or the most important person in the world, and then abandoned him. Then I'm thinking about all the times that I've heard people who talk about like. They have an, an experience, an encounter with religion, with faith, with God, and then they feel like, well, where are you now? Look at all the bad stuff that's happening. Look, at, I can't get a hold of you. I can't. I, I don't feel any sort of connection in my, in, my, in my prayers or in my life. I don't sense you here. All this bad stuff is happening. And so they feel like God has, a, has abandoned them. And then he calls out specifically, and I, I do want to camp for 30 seconds on this moment. He calls out specifically. He says, you don't even have the picture that I gave you uh, for, for Christmas. You've just got some dumb Americans in your office. Nate in that moment has no idea. I cited this when we, when we talked about no weddings and a funeral, he has no idea that the picture he gave Ted is sitting in a pretty prominent, like treasured place on Ted's dresser at home. So he doesn't have it at the office. He has it where he lives. He has it closer to his heart. And Nate doesn't know that because he can't see it and not trying to get too preachy here in the moment, but it made me think of the ways in which when bad things happen or traumas happen, we will tend to lash out at God or at our beliefs or or at whatever else. We'll tend to lash out at that completely ignorant of how much grace is present with us in that moment. We have no idea how close we are to God's heart, but we're lashing out because of what's not visible to us. We're lashing out because of what we can't see. Um, and then he insults, you know, Ted's credibility. He jabs at him about a son, which is clearly issues with his own father that he's kind of taking out on him. And the worst part to me is that even when Ted tries to apologize, 
Nate is clearly not even listening to me. There is nothing that Ted could say in that moment that would change anything about where Nate is. And I feel like when you really have this shattering of faith, honestly, what happened or what happens next is probably not going to make any difference until you sort of walk through the dark night that you're on your way through until you sort of conclude that path to its end. I don't have necessarily much more to say about that, except I just wanted to spend, you know, two, three minutes to kind of unpack that resonance with me, most especially about the, um, you know, the fact that he calls out that Ted doesn't have his picture prominently featured. And it's just his complete ignorance that he doesn't know how closely Ted has kept that picture and how much that picture has meant to him. Uh, And that really stuck out to me in the ways that we can sever ties because of what we think we're seeing or what we think we're not seeing. And we just, sometimes we just don't know. We just clearly don't know. Um, I wish I had, had formulated a better question to pivot over to either of you, but I would invite thoughts if you have any, uh, you know, or if that sparks anything for either of you. Uh, Reed, it's interesting that you, you sit on, on that scene because what this season does is show you just how insecure Nate is mm-hmm. and the reasons for that. Um, mm-hmm why he's sitting in that. I, I was listening to something the other day um, and the, the guy was talking about how uh, that in how we make sense of the world that, that, and, and I, I forget the guy's name, but, but that we are, we are like a, a rider on an elephant. Um, mm. And that while you can begin, he was using it. Here's how he was using it. He was using it in, in framework of conspiracy theories. And when we have friends and family mm. members who are moving in directions that are like, oh, I, I wish you wouldn't. He said that you can appeal to their writer. And the writer in this case is, is the mind. Mm. And he said, but there's also this elephant, which is their heart and, and their emotions and he said, while the rider has a little bit of control, that elephant at any moment can take back the reins and be like, nope, nope, I'm wow. in control here. Mm-hmm. And what I see at play in Nate is kind of that rider and elephant thing that you've seen first season, maybe early second, the rider being, being dealt with. You, you mm-hmm. see him working through some stuff, but then you start seeing his background. You start seeing his relationship with his father. You start seeing him spitting at himself. You start seeing him wanting to get a table that he can't get. Um, And all of a sudden the elephant is like, Nope, Nope. We're not, you're not done with this. You know, right. In in my experience with, you know, my own insecurity or seeing it in other people, it often kind of looks like that, that there may be progress and then boom, you know, there's something else that there may come a, you know, instead of four steps forward and one step back, you're getting four steps forward and then maybe 12 steps back mm. because all of a sudden that insecurity, which is so strong in that person's life, just completely yanks uh, the, the, the direction back to wherever they were. And you see some of that with Nate, that he's, um, Ted has been so loving and so caring and so inspiring to him. But then mm-hmm. when he, he, he's still the same Nate we met in season one. Right. He hasn't, he hasn't dealt with what led him to that point. And so that's one of the things that kind of excites me about the ambiguity of where we left season two is sure. what's right. going to happen there. Because if it's in the vein of Ted Lasso, 
you know, we're hoping that Nate deals with that. But, yeah. No, well, and, and to, and yes, Josh, I think I, and I'll acknowledge full on that they have wisely given themselves some scaffolding for the future. Like, like there's, there's a clear direction they can go and, and kind of do some, some good work in that. And it's funny just processing here and y'all talk about the Nate arc and that journey and, and read uh, Josh, you'll resonate with some of this too. But last week we talked about calling and in a hidden life and, and Josh, the movie, a hidden life. It's, it's a um, kind of world war two Holocaust era film. It's all about this, just the small and the secret, the small and the, how, how the smallness of a life can, can bloom into an, its impact and effect. Um, but what came up in that conversation was this, the language we sometimes use in faith circles of being called to particular platforms of, of elevation and identity and uh, notoriety and fame and all this and celebrity to, to be put a real blunt word on it. And what's interesting about Nate is to your point, Josh, like he just got there too fast. He, yeah. he is immature. He is insecure and bless his heart. He his platform, was his platform outran his character. Yes, mm. absolutely. Absolutely. And, and he had the right, um, sort of guide in Ted and in the warm sort of nest that, that, that character can create, but it kind of overshot. And Josh, we've referenced several times. Keely has a line early in this season. I think, Oh, it's, she might even be talking to Phoebe about her halitosis. I think uh, it is where mm -hmm. she says problems are like mushrooms. If yeah. you leave them in the dark too long, they grow. And that that is the signal of what is occurring with Nate. We just, and I will own it even for myself. You just kind of don't want to know the problems there until, oh my God, it has ballooned and, and gone nuclear as he does in the finale. Um, right. But it's so, I do think it's instructive for the era we live in. And what does, what do the creators wisely do with Nate? They, when, when he is spitting in the mirror at himself, he then is looking in the mirror of Twitter and, and, mm -hmm. and, and gets fed his own Kool-Aid and gets utterly drunk on it. And, you know, the, the ground is littered with folks who have drank too deeply of that well and poisoned everything around them. Can, so, so one, th yeah, one of the please, things that keeps, keep, keep, oh, yeah, I know, it keeps bubbling up in, in so much of what we're saying, Josh, you were talking about insecurity and, and, uh, and, and Nathan, you're talking about like getting there too fast. So I keep, I keep coming back to this, this idea of like the way Nate saw Ted and then also specifically like his interpretations of how things are going to be. I'm, I'm going to get real lofty for a second. It's not necessarily bold. It's just sort of big. And so I really hope that it doesn't, it, it doesn't overwhelm the conversation. Um, but I, I've, I've thought about this or a version of this a lot in the language that people will use to either talk about current events, social events, and they'll talk about it in very religious language. And when people express their faith, when they express their theology, my, my lofty idea is I think there are people who think about and look at what they believe God does to determine like who they are. And so identity is wrapped up in what they believe God does. So they talk about what God does, 
And I think there are other people who focus on who God is. So there's what God does, and then there's who God is. And I feel like a lot of times people who focus on what God does tend to sometimes have crises of identity if things are not working out. Like things can go in any number of different ways, but like when things are not going their way, when the sick person is not healed, when uh, the tragedy does not just resolve itself, like, well, God's supposed to fix this. These, these things are supposed to get better. They're supposed to do better. And so there's some uncertainty in where they are. And so then they have to start questioning what they believed about who they are and who God is. And all of those things get topsy-turvy. Even perhaps worse than that um, is is like you get into the conspiracy theory angle where you're like, oh, well, this is just the uh, Rube Goldberg sort of machinations that are going to lead us back around and he's going to position this and he's going to do that because they're so focused on like what God does. But the difference there is if you if you pivot that and you start focusing on who he is, the faithfulness, the 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 character of God. Um, again, I'm I'm talking in very faith-based language, but I think it probably could apply broadly to any relationship, uh, whether you're talking about a spouse, a family member, or anything. If you focus on who the person is, their heart, their 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 spirit, their mind, um, like if you start concentrating on that, then that can sometimes help be instructive to what to do next, regardless of the circumstances or how to navigate what's next. And I feel like that's this sort of backwards thing that we keep wrestling with is Nate in his place kept concentrating on what Ted did for him and 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 what Ted what he expected Ted to keep doing for him and when that fell apart or when that wasn't there and when it didn't look exactly the way that Nate thought it should look then that completely subverted his understanding of the identities at play he suddenly thinks because he says, everybody loves you, Ted Lasso, but I think you're a joke, you know? And and so he's talking about like who Ted is. I think you're a joke. And he also says about himself, he said, I belong here. I deserve to be here. And he's completely forgetting that it was Ted who first saw that in him, you know, that it was Ted who first like sort of, you know, Nate, Nate did earn it with his thoughts about it and his thoughts on the team and everything. But it was Ted who first gave him that voice and he's completely abandoned that. Um, so I've just, I, I, again, find it very interesting. I think there's a real struggle we have in relationships when we try to focus on identifying character by action and start saying like, well, this is, and we can do it with exploded up with God. We talk about like, well, this is what God does and, and, and God does this or God does that. And even the relationships that we have in our life, like they do this, they do that. And it's all about transaction and service as opposed to character and heart and spirit. Um, looking more at who God is or looking at who the people in our lives are and looking more at character and integrity. And, and, and I feel like Nate is a prime example of how when you get that backwards, it's very, very fragile. Maybe it might even be not too far to say that it's the house of sand versus or house on sand versus house on rock kind of thing. Um, and uh, anyway, just an explosion of thoughts that just keep bubbling up. I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll tie that off with, there's a great line Ted delivers when he's apologizing to the team, uh, about withholding the panic attack information. And he says, every choice is a chance. Mm -hmm. It is our choices that show who we truly are far more than our abilities. Mm -hmm. And it's important to note, um, this is an old Robert McKee scripting note. A character is what they do. 
Like mm-hmm. the only the only insight we as a viewer, sometimes we in relationship to human people, the only insight we have is is the observations we make of how a person behaves. And the choices Nate makes through this season are reflective of, of, for, it's not a judgmental statement. It is a reflection of who he is though, which is insecure and immature. And that's disheartening to us because we so enjoyed the kind of energy that that character has in the first season and the dynamic that's present, but is perhaps a more mature look at what can really happen when insecurity and immaturity don't grow and instead are mm-hmm. told they're the wonder kid. But I really said wonderkind. Hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> any, any other kind of broad thoughts, Josh, do you, any, anything staring at you that you feel like you want to say about Ted Lasso season two? Uh, a, a quote early on, um, which I think, I think kind of sums up Ted Lasso season two or at least that's what people who think things like, like I do about this would say. Um, so <laughs> it's when, <clears throat> it's when the Danny Rojas uh, discovers that football is death. Um, <laughs> and Ted is talking to, it's, it's almost a, this funeral like scene um, where he's talking to the press and he says, uh, funny to think about the things in your life that can make you cry just knowing they existed and then become the same things that make you cry knowing that they're now gone. When those things come into our lives, help us get from one place to a better one. And I thought about that, you know, in, in terms of this season, because if if Ted Lasso season three um, moves back into a or, or four or wherever the whatever the end looks like for this, um, it, it looks like, you know, some of the best things we have are things that we had to work hard for are things that we had to sacrifice for are things that involve loss. Um, you know, that's why, that's why a Thanksgiving meal tastes the way it does when you're with the people you love and the people who aren't there anymore. Um, that's why Christmas, you know, is what it is when, when you can remember who, who's not there anymore. And I think that's, that's an interesting way to look at things. And gosh, I just, Sudeikis just nails Ted Lasso so well when he puts in that golly type way of looking at it. And you're like, dad, gummit flipping philosopher Forrest Gump has done it again. (laughs) (laughs) He nails it time and time again. And you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Dad gum, Ted, you've been reading my mail, man. That's me. (laughs) Um, And I, you know, I see that in, in him, as I mentioned earlier, as you watch season two, you see, you see what kindness, you see what grace, you see what humility, you see what they can do in the lives of the people around you. And um, you, you see how then it begins to spread, you know, Keely having her opportunity to go and do whatever she's going to do. Roy, good gracious. I didn't even mention it, but Roy coaching the little girl soccer team. Oh, oh it's my, so great. That is phenomenal. Handing out the trophies at the end and uh, just so good. But, <laughs> but you see all these characters beginning to, um, to, to get from one place to another. And some of them have dealt with loss. Some of them have dealt with pain, but they've all dealt with something. And I think yeah. that's where, you know, you leave Nate at, it's like that something's coming for him. Actually, mm-hmm. it already has. He just can't name it. He, like the, the, the 
the Keeley phrase y'all mentioned earlier about things. Right. Like, yeah. Um, he hasn't been able to deal with it yet. Well, should he begin to deal with it? Then you're going to see it happen for him too. Um, you know, doggone. And we joked last time we were together, man, I'd take a daggum small group through this so quick. Um, (laughs) because it it has so many parallels to what we go through um yeah so that's one of the reasons why it's just uh, you know it's such a great great show and uh always leaves me um you know even 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 in the the doggone beard episode which i I didn't care for uh it it does leave me wanting more ted lasso uh you know time and time again no, absolutely. I think that's a, I mean, Nathan, unless you have other things to, to share, I, I think that's a, a really great button to pivot us into the fog meter and everything. Uh, we're, you guys, we're going to have to wait like probably a year, which kind of sucks. And then <laughs> we're going to, we're going to come back together and have to make our way through season three when that, when that happens. So that, you know, that's going to, maybe we'll All do right. a little mini B side at that a, point. Yeah, well, or we do another mini "What Saves Us" series and just go through it again, just for that, you know, for that little bit. But, um, but for right now, we have season two. Let's go into the fog meter uh, in this "What Saves Us" series, the fun and God uh, meter. So, um, Josh, I'm going to start with you. Uh, what would you give on a scale from zero to ten? Talking specifically about Ted Lasso season two, not Ted Lasso the show as a whole, but season two. What would you give? Uh, on the fun meter. Um, so uh, I love Ted Lasso and we'll go ahead and just throw that out there. I love the show. And I, I love the conversation that season two provoked, you know, even <clears throat> early on, you know, it's funny, you know, the, the line all press is, is good press type stuff. <clears throat> um, even early on, like I, like I read the ringer and in such places and there was a, there was a, it wasn't a negative Ted Lasso piece, but it was a, it was one that was fairly critical. I remember thinking, what? Are you kidding me? We're not watching the same show. And, <laughs> and it just caused me to lean in more. It's like, well, let me tell you why I love it even more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'd rate it. You know, 10 does feel too high, but I mean, it's up there, man. <laughs> 9.5. Um, you can do, we can do 0.5s here. Point five, I'll give you the 0.5. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's there's one thing that keeps coming up about the middle of the season about the right thing. And mm, there's one mm-hmm. point when Ted says doing the right thing is never the wrong thing. And it's, you know, mm-hmm. so it feels it just feels right to give it a nine and a half. <laughs> I hear you, man. I hear you. Nathan, what about for you? Um I especially in comparison to season one, I think for fun, I'm gonna be honest and go with a seven. I do have overall some complicated feelings about the architecture that I do think there's a strong chance future Ted seasons will iron some out, but taken mm-hmm. on its own. Um, of course it's fun, but some of the, some of the perceived uh, trouble spots aren't totally ironed out for me. So I'm going to land at a seven for it. All right. I think I'm actually going to join you in your seven. Seven was going to, was the number I was landing on. And just that's and mostly, in comparison to season one, if I'm taking season two in a bubble, that that's how I feel about it compared to the way that season one makes me feel. So, um, so seven for me as well on the God meter where we measure, uh, our, like the substance of it. Um, I do think this is a, 
this is a season that is more complicated and nuanced and more mature. So uh, while I would ding it down a bit in terms of its pure enjoyment or whatever, I think it is as every bit as substantive as the first one, even if it's not quite as hopeful or optimistic consistently through it, because it's telling, as we've already said, a different story. So I'm going to go with the nine and a half on the God meter for season two. Uh, Nathan, what would you give it for the God meter? I do think taking it in this second helping um, uh, the, the broad view of season two, it is more mature in what it's attempting uh, and a bit more nuanced than perhaps season one was. And so I, I think I'm going to give it a nine. Um, you know, I, I there, there's almost a case it's too smart for what's on the page. And and so sure. honestly, the honestly, the only thing keeping me from a 10 is is maybe a little more clarity desired here and there. Uh, but OK, that's that's a me thing. So, yeah, yeah. nine oh, here. All right, Josh, bring us home. What would you give it for the God meter? Nathan, Nathan, I can't I can't talk you into a point five. Hmm. Come <laughs> on, man. Oh, come on. <laughs> um. It's got to be high. I mean, the last one was high for me. So I'll get, shoot, we'll give it a 10, man. Why not? Do it, Josh. Do it. Do it. Generous judge. Um, because it, it, it holds up a mirror. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then spits and, in it. Yeah. And then stinking spits in it and makes you go, ah, <laughs> um, you know, it, it uh, yeah, it, it makes, if, uh, to, to he, to he, to he, who has ears, let him hear um, mm-hmm. or let him see what's inside and what's outside and what old Ted's trying to do uh, to help you be a better person. Um, so, yeah, I give it. All right. Time. All right. I like it. Um, we give Ted Lasso season two an eight and a half out of 10 on the fog meter. And that is in comparison to, I believe we gave season one a full 10, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't we give that a full mm-hmm. 10? Um, so season two gets an eight and a half on the fog meter, but I think it's still fairly safe to say. Um, I know I'll speak for myself and then I'll ask you, Nathan, and then you, Josh. I still recommend Ted Lasso season two. It did not take a nosedive for me to where I would not recommend the show. I think it does deliver something that's very different from season one in terms of, you know, what you're after, but it's still, it's still something that I cannot wait uh, for season three to come back for. So I strongly recommend it. Nathan, do you recommend it? Absolutely. I think uh, I, I do think season two has um, the show's lowest lows, none of them too low, but it also transcends with some of the series highest highs. I think, I think it, Agreed. I think, uh, uh, while episode one in summary is a bit more consistent, uh, episode two, uh, delivers with some of the most fantastic elements the show has offered yet. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. Josh, do you recommend Ted Lasso season two? What if he's I like, nah, wholeheartedly, man. I love it. It's good stuff. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, man, Josh. Always a pleasure to have you back. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, Nathan. Well, we always- have to do Ted future installments just to have Josh back unless he decides to I join know. us for werewolves within or something. If he well, ventures into I mean, that territory. Listen, we are recording on we are recording in the early days of December. And I'm just going to throw it out there right now that towards the tail end of this month, there's going to be another season of a show that we three have conversed about together. Cobra Kai season four. Oh, wow. Is I didn't coming. Know that. 
Yeah. Uh, Cobra Kai season four is coming this month. So you didn't get so. the Eagle Fang. Uh, <laughs> no, I, didn't. I didn't. I didn't get the email. I'm uh, on so the newsletter. You unsubscribe. Sensei Lawrence will find you. He will. He will. Sweep my leg. He's playing. Sweep my leg. So Josh, man, listen. The the Let listeners might again. see you. The, the listeners might see you uh, sooner than uh, than than you think. The listeners might hear you because so, I think Cobra Kai season four might might be something we have to reconvert. I could be B side so. B side opening of twenty twenty two. Hey, I love it. I love it. You heard it here first. Your poor listeners. You would do that to them. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. Um, But no, sincerely, thank you so much. I know it's late where you are. Uh, It's late where you are, Nathan, too, but I don't really care about that because we do this all the time. So, but I just, no, thank you. Friendship. Friendship. (laughs) Friendship. It's like, wow, you just held up a mirror and spit in it. so, Here's the show, uh, Reed. What's next week? <laughs> so next week, um, we are going to be venturing. I'm super excited about this. Um, we're going to be venturing uh, to not only to another type of film, another What Saves the Century, but a whole other planet. We're going to be venturing specifically to the planet of the apes. And if you want to get even more specific than that, we're going to be going to war. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, this is going to keep going forever. See, now you, you bring it you bring it right back to my wrestling days because you sound like you're on the way down to the ring. You're getting ready, you know, like you're charging it up. Okay. <laughs> so, but no, seriously, um, we're going to be bringing it to war for the planet of the apes that is the most recent installment in the massively sweeping uh planet of the apes franchise so war for the planet of the apes is our piece next week acquaint yourself with that um i think it's fair to say the conversation will be about war for the planet of the apes but we will probably be i'm watching all three yeah we'll probably be referencing rise and dawn as well just be aware of that though the conversation will be about War for the Planet of the Apes. See you here next week. As we say on every single episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. Thank you again, Josh. Thank you as always, Nathan. And thank you very much as Thanks, always. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, guys. See you next Good week. Note. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and morethanonelesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody.